Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Steve Bruce to my Fiona Bruce. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you, dear boy? I'm very good. I'm, I'm, I'm coming over my short-term cold uh, and cough. It's now not going to be a hindrance for us uh, recording today. So yeah, I'm, I'm very good, thank you. How are you, Ryan? Hi. I'm I'm wonderful, thank you. That is great news for the listener, by the way, who's had enough of <laughs> hearing you coughing into their ear lobes every single time. Ear lobes, eardrums is what I meant to say. Um, this is the Second Tier Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to be going through the two games that we've had in midweek, one on Monday night, West Brom v Swansea and Cardiff v Derby from Tuesday night. We'll look ahead to some of the games coming up this coming weekend in the Championship, then talk about some of the news from the past few days as well. But before we jump into the show, may I tell you, listener, about our friends at FansBet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. Do check them out by clicking the link in the description of this episode. They've got an exclusive offer for listeners to the second tier. You can get a welcome offer of bet £10, get £30, plus 10 free spins. UK mobile registrations only. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site. 18 plus. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more info and also check out FansBet Responsible Gambling Tools. Let's kick things off with West Brom, who are now winless in seven, Justin, after losing 2-0 at home to Swansea for the majority of the game. This was dreadful. We like to pick up the championship as much as possible, but this was a really poor game. Um, a poor game between two sides who are struggling at the moment. But then Swansea turned it on in the last 20 minutes of the game. Yeah, Swansea have got that ability to do it because they've got quality in the team. And as I say, I, I trust Russell Martin with his style of play. So you can always... You can always expect them to have a spell at some point in a game, um, aside from that drumming um, against Sheffield United the other week. But nonetheless, they came up against a good team here in West Brom and did make them look second best. Obviously, there wasn't too much separating the teams. Um, there was a couple of golden chances for Swansea and obviously Colin Robinson hit the post twice as well. But at the same time, you know Swansea looked like that team that were competing to get into the playoffs rather than West Brom. It was it was quite a quite an interesting uh, encounter like that. But as I say, West Brom, yeah, really, really poor result, really poor performance. And I don't know where I don't know where else to go for, for them. I don't know where they're going to go. I thought the introduction of Olivier and Cham really changed things for Swansea. His assist for the first goal was marvellous. We'll talk more about Swansea in a bit, Justin, because we've got to discuss the absolute dumpster fire that is West <laughs> Bromwich Albion right now. Some of the most deafening chants of you're not fit to wear the shirt I think I've mm. ever heard at a football game. I, I struggle to recall many teams who have gone from promotion contenders like they were strong promotion contenders just a matter of months ago to what they are now. Yeah, and I think I think that the the supporters are fair to chant that. Um, you look at the the data, for example. We, you've mentioned it a lot over the past few months, season, pretty much of West Brom's underperformance in front of goals, uh, in front of the goal. Sorry, um, and and yeah, there, there is a massive underperformance there. I don't think it's a case of not putting it, the effort in, but you know, are, are West Brom short of quality? I disagree. Are they? I disagree, Justin. I think initially it was about not putting away the chances, and that was the main reason I'd say why the Valerian Ishmael um, reign came to an end. But now they're not even creating chances; they're just yeah. poor. It's gone from, um, well, you know how fans, when things aren't going well, they will often say players, the players don't look bothered. And um, when I was watching this game, I was genuinely thinking to myself, 
there's one team who clearly wants to win this more than the other here, and yeah. it was Swansea. Yeah. I thought it was an embarrassing performance. And I mean that with absolutely no disrespect to Swansea, but there was a complete lack of desire from the West Brom players. And that's been something that's become more and more evident over the last few weeks. And it doesn't look like it's going to get any better anytime soon. I feel sorry for the fans who are forking out each week to watch a group of players who judging from the last couple of games look like they'd rather be elsewhere I feel sorry mm. for Steve Bruce which might not be the most popular thing said on this podcast but he's been thrown in at the deep end and is having to answer for the problems at the club each week they're fortunate really aren't they that there are four teams with very low points tallies this season at this stage uh, last season West Brom will be 12 points from safety and I'd be very worried about them <laughs> going down but right now they, they just don't look arsed the players if you ask me uh, yeah, I, I do get that. And I think you've got to throw Ishmael into the mix as well of, of, of someone you might feel sorry for just because, again, that underperformance earlier on in the season pretty much cost him his job. Um, and for me, you, you have got to look upstairs. You've got to look at the decision makers who have allowed this to progress into to what it is now. Obviously, you look at Sheffield United, for example, who made the wrong appointment in Jukanovic and rectified it quite quickly um, you know just a couple of months into the season a few months into the season um, and they rectified it quite quickly um, but then you got to look at why it took so long for them to change Ishmael um, that could have been done earlier on in January and Steve Bruce put in place earlier on and he's got more time to work with the squad he's got time to bring his own players in etc um, so yeah you've got to also point the finger at uh, the hierarchy at West Brom because again they, they've put them in this, this situation yeah it's not just one bad decision is it it's a series of bad decisions that have led to where we are now um, the one that stands out the most in my mind is not appointing Chris Wilder in the summer which is just <laughs> looking like an absolute disaster of a decision really isn't it but they have tried to do things on the cheap of course you look at the teams who have come down this season West Brom were the only ones who have barely spent any money until January when it was a bit too late by that point um, last season they spent 40 million or so in the Premier League but spent it very poorly. Um, mm. A lot of those players are now in the championship now and are under, underperforming massively. But there is no one explanation for why West Brom are doing so badly. It is just a load of different aspects and they've all collided now into what is yeah. this waste of a team. <laughs> and we're talking about a very talented group of players here, Justin. Very talented, man for man. At the start of the season, I think most championship pundits would have put it alongside Fulham's wouldn't they? Yeah. But now, mm. God, they, they look two completely different sides. West Brom look so poor. So, so poor. Um, after the game, Steve Bruce said he thinks promotion is a bit of a long shot now. I think even calling it a long shot is a bit generous, Justin. Yeah, he's, he's trying to salvage something that is pretty much unsalvageable, isn't he? Um, <clears throat> and fair play to him, uh, because he is a positive manager. He will see the positive side of things, and I do expect him to pick up points, but West Brom have got to shift their focus to the next season because this could easily become a situation where they languish in the Championship for a few more years. Yeah. Do you think Steve Bruce is the man to um, take them into next season? Because, I mean, he's only been in charge for a matter of games, but I, I think plenty of West Brom fans are thinking he's walking a bit of a tightrope already. I think it's unfair to <clears throat> say he's walking that tightrope because obviously this this West Brom team have overseen numerous sackings of managers shall we say uh, without too much turnover in the squad so I think it would be fair, unfair to point the finger at, at Steve Bruce the man 
we we know was the, the answer was Chris Wilder. Um, and obviously that didn't happen for whatever reason. Steve Bruce, I think, is um, more than more than capable of leading this team into into next season and possibly into the Premier League. He just he needs backing and there needs to be a clearer structure and identity off the field as well. Yeah, and the recruitment needs to be a hell of a lot better, doesn't <laughs> it? Because it's been awful, woeful, in fact, over the past few transfer windows. Uh, let's talk about Swansea, Justin, because they have been struggling recently, but there were certainly promising signs, weren't there, from this game. I mean, Enchan was great when he came off the bench, <laughs> and Joel Pirro hasn't had the best few months, but's got on the score sheet here as well. I thought Cyrus Christie was really handy as well for Swansea. I saw an interesting tweet after the game from Jake Humphrey, the PT Sport presenter. He said Russell Martin will be a Premier League manager before long. What do you think of that one, Justin? <laughs> Um, it, it's interesting, yeah. Um, I, I I don't disagree, but I don't think it's as soon as Jake Humphrey might be uh, alluding to. I think there's a little bit more time for him to go. He's still he's well. This is his third full season in in management, um, or even second full season in in in, in management. And he is a talented coach. And Swansea do play a, an incredible style of football when they are flourishing, but at the same time. He's got to learn from his mistakes. He's got to find other ways to, to break teams down because obviously he sticks with that plan A uh, quite often, which if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. He doesn't have a plan B and that's fine, but you've got to make sure plan A is very, very good in that case. And I still think Swansea have got to go through the things. But I think this performance, again, Swansea didn't play particularly well, but they still found, found a breakthrough. Substitutions came in at the right time. And again, you're looking at that and thinking, oh, OK, you're, you're a decent manager there. Um, but yeah, Swansea have got a long way to go and, and so has Russell Martin. I completely agree. Swansea have had a great record with managers recently, haven't they? They had yeah. Graham Potter, who, as we all know, possible future England manager. Uh, Steve Cooper, who I think will be a Premier League manager in the near future. Russell Martin's the next in line. And I'd say this has been the slowest first season out of the three managers they've had since getting relegated to the Championship. But at the same time, I can see signs that he's going to be a very good manager. Um, it, it could take a bit of time, as you say, he's very stubborn with his plan A um, and across various points of the season, Swansea fans haven't been too convinced with certain aspects of his management style, but I, I think he likes to play football the right way. Uh, he likes to give youngsters a chance at the same time and is willing to um, give play, give players a try who mm -hmm. haven't had much of a chance at senior level before. So uh, I think he can be a Premier League manager, but I don't think it'll be within the next two seasons, I've got to say. I think he's he's a work in progress, isn't he? And he's, Absolutely. He, he's found the place to learn, hasn't he, at mm -hmm. Swansea right now, who are more than patient with managers. Derby's fight to stay up took another blow after they lost 1-0 to Cardiff. Ushi Ikpiezu got the goal in the 85th minute. Wayne Rooney wasn't happy with the goal. He claims there was two fouls before it went in. Are you having any of that, Justin? The Ebersali one was the first one, wasn't it, near the Cardiff near the Cardiff goal? And there is a little clip. Is it enough for Ebersali to go down? Probably not. I think Ebersali probably should have laid the ball off a lot sooner than he tried to, and he wouldn't have had the ball nicked. But he's a young player and he's learning. Um, the second one, the Ikpiatsu one, uh, is a is a bit of a tussle. But at the same time, Ikpiatsu does does pull Davis away from the ball, which obviously impedes his. Uh, action to go and attack the ball so that I, I would say that was a foul but again could be soft because obviously both players are, are grappling each other so uh, I agree with some of what he's saying but I disagree that the, the goal shouldn't have stood yeah it's not the most outrageous decisions no. I've seen 
not given this season, it's got to be said. But I can see where Rooney's coming from. I, th- I agree with you. I think it would have been soft. But looking at the game overall, I thought Cardiff edged it. Derby had that one moment, didn't they, in the second half where Smithies tipped a header onto the post. But mm. aside from that, it seemed like Derby were fairly happy to come away with a point and that 85th minute goal was a massive sucker punch. Yeah, it was. And I think the, the Cardiff substitutions... Uh, took the game further away from Derby as well. I thought Mark Harris, when he came on, he stretched the game brilliantly when, when Derby players were getting tired. So kudos there to Steve Morrison for making the change when he did. But as you say, yeah, there wasn't too much to, to, to come from Derby in that game. It just feels like they're lacking quality in that final third. They're lacking a creative spark as well without Tom Lawrence. They can they can defend, they can keep teams out, but at the other end, if they're not as productive uh, as they are defensively, then unfortunately teams are going to score against them. And it's two tight games where you could argue Derby had chances to win the game and they haven't. So it's, I mean, staying away from relegation is looking unlikely at this point. It's, um, it's de- they're definitely missing a spark, aren't they? Tom Lawrence, that red card in hindsight. I mean, it was a stupid decision at the time, but he's massively hindered his team in the last three games, haven't they? Because they've desperately, desperately needed that kind of flair that he adds to a side. (coughs) But this is Derby's sixth straight loss away from home now. Their away form is seriously, seriously poor. I think some Derby fans have been pointing the finger at Rain Rooney for his tactics in away games. He hasn't been particularly on the front foot much, has he? Um, But I've seen a lot of Derby fans say, that's it, they're down now. Do you think it's over or do you still think there is life in the old Ram yet? I don't think I think it's just I think it's too much of an ask for Derby to claw the way out based purely on the fact that other teams have got more strength and depth than than Derby do. And I think it just comes down to that. I think you can substitute attacking quality for grinding games out, but I don't think Derby have got the squad depth and experience to, to grind games out. You look at the midfield, for example, Graeme Shinney is a massive, massive loss um in that Derby midfield. The way he picks up second balls, um he, he makes those those he turns tight games like this into 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 draws essentially um, which is what you need in that midfield and he's got the experience as well and I think losing him was, was massive and also losing Phil Jagielka again is massive because of the experience he had so there's a lot of yeah there's a lot for Derby to do I think it's just far too much they've got I think they've got to win something like seven out of their next 11 games which is is a big ask for a squad that thin I don't think it's over yet I, I still I, I've still got hope that Derby could turn it around and pull off the miracle that plenty of neutrals are wanting to see. Admittedly, when you look at the table now, you consider the fact they have played more games than all the other teams down there. That's a massive, massive blow for them. But Reading, it, it a lot depends on how poor Reading are. Are they going back to the team that we saw before under Paul Ince or are they now turning the corner and starting to pick up more results? Barnsley, the, the game on Saturday is a massive game for Derby. Yeah. Isn't it? And if, if they lose that, then I may be swinging to the other side saying Derby are probably down now. But I, st- I still think it's very much open. A lot of it depends on Tom Lawrence coming back as well. I think he's got to be hitting top form as soon as he gets back in the Derby mm-hmm. side. So I don't think it's over yet. I've still got hope. Um, quick word on Cardiff then, Justin. There was a good win, good result for them. Once it Uchik Piazu got the goal. Tommy Doyle was pulling all the strings in the middle of the park. And I think it's safe to say that Cardiff's January business has saved their season. Oh yeah, I don't. I think if they didn't, if they weren't able to bring in the likes of Doyle or Rick Piazza or Hugo, I think they'd be in and around Reading, trying to stave off relegation. I think that quality um, and experience that they've brought in has, has really added something. You look at uh, the options Morrison has now; he's able to rotate his front line 
quite often. Obviously, Hugo, I think that, that there was an illness at the weekend. An illness broke out in the squad and Hugo didn't play, um, but he was available for this game. Nick Piazza came on. Derby players are tired. Worth kind of player to defend against. It's sort of like Ipiazu who's going to wrestle you, who's going to make it difficult for you. And, and obviously he was the um, he was a game changer with the goal. But Mark Harris again, I've already mentioned Mark Harris when he came on. I thought it was brilliant. So yeah, quite quite pleased with how Cardiff with how Cardiff have progressed under Steve Morrison. Again, I think there's a long way to go, but there's 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 good signs there. I think. Sure, a quick look ahead to the weekend's games, just and we've got a bit of time. The one with the most at stake would probably be Derby at home to Barnsley. A six-pointer in every sense of the phrase. I don't want to keep talking about Derby, Justin, because they're in the news as well. But this is a great <laughs> chance for Barnsley to keep the momentum going, isn't it? Yeah, we talk about <clears throat> the importance for, for a result for Derby, but Barnsley have put themselves back in the mix. And that's credit to Asbargi for, for turning it around, the formation tweak as well. I think they're going to ask a lot of questions uh, of Derby. It's just consistency, isn't it, for, for this Barnsley team? And you look at their away form as well. The away form is is really, really poor. It's the second uh, second worst in the division again. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of questions there for Barnsley because, like Derby, not picking up points away from home is could cost them a, a place in the championship. So what better place to start here? It's a, it's a massive game for for Barnsley as big as it is for Derby. Would you say that whoever loses is probably staying or probably going down to League One next season? Um. Yes, I think if Derby lose, they'll definitely be going down for my money. Um, I think Barnsley, if they lose, I do still think they've got gears to go. And obviously they've got two games in hand on Derby and a game in hand on Reading. So there's that little bit of wiggle room for them. Score prediction? I'm going to go 2-0 Barnsley. Really? I am. I mean, Bassey really impressed me last weekend. I think he can, I think he can uh, pick up again against Derby. Mm. It's so hard to pinpoint where Barnsley are at. And I think this game will give us a greater idea of that because obviously they've been fantastic recently. Um, Derby will have Tom Lawrence back, which is going to be a big boost for them. I'll go for a nil-nil draw. I think these (laughs) games with so much riding on it often tend to be um, goalless draws in the end, don't they? And both teams will be very tense (laughs) heading into it. Middlesbrough at home to Luton. That's an interesting game. Into Luton, one of the form teams in the division against the Borough side who have been struggling a bit in the league. Um, any thoughts on this game, Justin? Yes, yeah, it's, it's quite an exciting one, actually. <clears throat> when you consider both teams and their styles of play as well, a little bit similar, um, same principles, white like to work harder than their opposition. So I think there are going to be a lot of uh, kilometres logged in this game for, for some key players. And obviously, Middlesbrough um, coming in off the back of the, the result against Tottenham in midweek as well, which is a massive sort of confidence boost. But then again, that could play into Luton's hands. Obviously, that game went to extra time. Players could be tired. So, yeah, it's certainly an intriguing fixture. And again, it's a massive one for the playoff race. It's a quite exciting one, the, the clash between Jones and Wilder. It's interesting because Luton do have a tendency for one in every five games to just be a, a performance where they don't turn up. And I wonder mm. if this will be that game. But I think you've hit a, a really, really important point there, Justin, about Middlesbrough's extra time in the week against uh, Spurs in the Cup. I think that could really, uh, really hinder them quite frankly. Um, and they they have had some odd performances, Middlesbrough, where they, they also haven't turned up. So I, I'm edging more towards a Luton win. Are you? I th- mm, maybe. 
logically it makes sense to go with Luton, but at the same time, <clears throat> they they managed against Derby to win three games on the trot for the first time this season. So I think going four games on the trot, again, is a big ask. I think a draw, I'd settle on a draw and I think Nathan Jones would be quite happy with the draw as well. I'd go, I'd go a score draw, I'd go 2-2. And then finally, on Friday night, a mouthwatering game between Sheffield United and Forest. How how do you see this one going, Peachy Boy? Uh, There's always good games at Bramall Lane against Forest for Sheffield United. Um, I don't know why I gravitate towards them so so much. I think it's probably that uh, 0-2-0-3 playoff campaign between both teams. A um, lot, lot of good memories for that. But... I think again, it's it's a good it's a big game for for both sides, massive game for both sides. In fact, I think Sheffield United, um, personnel wise, probably in a better shape than than Forest. But again, Forest are in in starting to sort of return to their usual selves after a couple of rocky games. Um, but again, I think I quite fancy Sheffield United to to nick a, a result here. I think Hagenbottom's proved in big games that he can that he can edge teams quite nicely, quite comfortably as well. So I'm going to go one 0 Sheffield United for this one. It's definitely a tasty one in the race for the top six. It's weird because Forest never seem to lose, but are never in the playoffs. I don't know how <laughs> they keep getting good results every week and don't get any higher than eighth place. Sheffield United, I'm interested to see how they bounce back from losing to Millwall. This is get this game is part of a tough eight days for the Blades, mm. but if they come out the other side smelling of roses, then one would imagine they'd be nailed on for the top six. I'm, I'm siding with a Sheffield United win here, I think. Um, the Millwall game last weekend was just a bit of a setback and uh, they'll bounce back here I think um, let's have a break just enough of that we'll talk about some of the news in the championship for the past few days and then finish off with the Craig Bryson pub quiz Hello there guys it's Ryan I'm just checking in to tell you about the second tier betting show which is where myself and tipster Jimmy the Punt pick out our best bets in the championship each weekend We've been doing it since the start of the season and have made a tasty little profit in that time with winners at prices as big as 25 to 1. We have a new episode out every Thursday and Monday if there's a full round of midweek games. So if you enjoy having a flutter on the championship, why not give it a listen? Search Second Tier Betting on your favourite podcast platform. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Now, we on the Second Tier are obsessed with championship football. It's what we live, eat and breathe. And we can't always go to games, Justin. However, there is a solution. What is the solution, Ryan? Well, there's a very, very, very handy tool and it's called NordVPN. What is NordVPN? I'm glad you asked. It basically gives you all you want in the world, everything. Well, to a degree. Picture the scene. It's 3pm on a Saturday and your side is away from home. If you use NordVPN, then you can change your virtual location and watch the game in your own living room. And it's not just football. You can watch Netflix or Amazon Prime or any other streaming service and their content from different countries, meaning you don't have to wait for it to come out on UK release. Also, if you're traveling, you might use unsecured public Wi-Fi. Having NordVPN on your phone, laptop or tablet protects you from naughty, naughty hackers. Now, grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by heading to nordvpn.com and using the code SECONDTIER to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus one additional month for free and a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, so why wouldn't you? It costs less than a pint, so it's an absolute bargain. Have a look for yourself right now. Right, now it's time for this.
Yes, it's time for the news and Derby's administrators have said they hope to name a preferred bidder shortly as they consider a number of offers. It's after the EFL requested an urgent update on the club's future earlier in the week. In a statement, the administrators say they're considering bids for the club. Further requests for clarity from prospective purchasers have been sought and we hope to be able to name the preferred bidder shortly. We are aware that everyone connected to the club wants to see its future resolved as soon as possible. Our duty is to ensure we secure the best long-term outcome for Derby County and we are working hard to achieve this objective. The EFL then released a statement shortly afterwards saying the administrators are threatening the very future of the club over the apparent lack of progress. Justin, they set a deadline of the weekend to name the preferred bidder, the administrators this was. We're nearly a week on and we still haven't had one named at the time of recording. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, Ryan, but they also set a deadline uh, at Christmas time and mm. then they set a deadline in January. Um, and then also, they also said straight after uh, the, the Borough uh, compensation was agreed with Mel Morris and Steve Gibson, that things would move quite quickly. And here we are, we're, at, we're in March. The deadline, as the, as the EFL pointed out, has expired and they're not even getting back to the EFL. And this statement that they released was was pushed by Derby supporters. It doesn't really tell you anything. It just tells what tells everybody what we already know is they're working hard in inverted commas. It's frustrating. It's frustrating as a supporter um, from a football community perspective as well. The alarm bells are ringing because if my club, your club, if that goes that goes under, then you're under this. In, you're, you're put in this position where your club's future is in the hands of people who are. Feel, it feels like they're just serving themselves. Um, and that that for me is the, the the scary thought. I don't I don't have much confidence in this process being completed, um, mainly because of these these deadlines that have continued to pass. It feels like a a sixteen year old telling their teacher that they will get their homework done next week and completely ignoring each deadline. It's frustrating. It's rage inducing, and again, we're left talking about it when we shouldn't really have to be. They just need to be more transparent. It's as easy as that. Yeah, and the handling has been appalling, hasn't it? It's rare that we on the second tier would, you know, look at what the EFL has said in a statement and go, actually, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's rare that we agree with them. But th- there may be perfectly acceptable reasons as to why there's no preferred bidder yet. I doubt it, but there may be. However, setting a deadline to name a preferred bidder and then not naming them nearly a week on is just pure incompetency and it's not fair on Derby fans who were hanging by tenterhooks over the future of their club Lord knows what it's doing to the mental health of fans across the city who are just you know it's tearing them to shreds right now because they are genuinely worried that they may not have a football club to support in the next few weeks we have got to keep in mind that this isn't the first deadline they set for themselves which they've gone on to ignore as you just said Justin it's it's not just that either it's the EFL deadline for proof of funds they just seem to let that pass without giving any thought to the consequences the whole thing has been shambolic and the main barrier to completing the takeover was the legal claims which have been taken off the table so what is the delay could it be that the administrators are making millions from the club by dragging this out for as long as possible? I struggle to see any other reason why this hasn't been sorted. So it's, it is it is rage-inducing for not just fans, but I think every other championship pundit who has a lot of sympathy for what fans are going through right now. Let's move on. Cardiff boss Steve Morrison has been given a new contract until the end of next season. He was initially given a deal until the end of this season. We spoke... Not long ago about this, Justin, he's done enough to earn a new deal, Auntie. 
It definitely has because that Cardiff team was heading to, to League One very quickly. And again, they are very fortunate that <clears throat> there are teams below them that have had points deductions. But at the same time, Steve Morrison has had to work with work under a very difficult set of circumstances in the sense that there's been a lack of investment, there's been an over-reliance on bringing youth players through as well as players probably at the wrong end of their careers. So to get a good team functioning and getting results and being harder to beat has been yeah has been very positive for Steve Morrison. I'd like to see a little bit more of this possession style of play that we were promised by Cardiff fans and yet to yet to see it but at the same time very very pleased that he's convinced us oh he's convinced me anyway that he's the right man for the job because we had reservations about him and fair enough under 23's boss coming into the team very difficult to to see where it goes and it's been a success so far I stand by that in the long term I've still got reservations about whether he'll be a, a success at Cardiff um, but he has done enough to earn the job at this point because he's steered them away from relegation they look safe as houses now do you think though that the fact he's only been given a deal until the end of next season is a sign that the Cardiff board aren't completely sold on him yet? Potentially I think it was also if, if, it, this, this is speaking very broadly but if they do come to sack him if things don't go very well then compensation wise they don't have to pay as much out to, to Steve Morrison either it, it does make sense but they do put themselves at risk as well in case Steve Morrison does a very good job and someone else comes in for him and they don't play they don't pay too much compensation. So it's a double-edged sword in that sense where they protect themselves financially, but also they're at risk of losing uh, a potentially very good manager for, for nothing. Birmingham fans have organised a protest called the Big Blues Dildo Protest. Supporters <laughs> are being urged to bring the biggest dildo they can find and throw it onto the pitch in the 69th minute in their game against Hull, which is a week on Saturday. How official this protest is, I'm not sure, but it certainly caught my eye. <laughs> Just, yeah, it takes someone's eye out as well, wouldn't it? Um, not really sure. Not really sure where I can possibly comment. Um, it's certainly different. And was it a Villa? Was it a Villa fan? I know, same city. But was it a Villa fan who put the dildo in the ear of a Sky Sports News reporter? Mm, that's a good question. I, Everton is standing out to me. I'm not sure. I'm convinced it's. I'm convinced it was Villa. Mm. So quite a quite a dildo orientated city in Birmingham. <laughs> what <has this> podcast <laughs> become? What are we doing? <laughs> hey, it's news. If it happens, it will be. Uh, we shouldn't be condoning this, Justin, but it would be very entertaining. <laughs> it would. It would be funny. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they should be doing that. Um, but it's not tennis. It's not tennis balls. So it's yeah, something different, I guess. Mm. I um, yeah. I, I liked how on the flyer that's been doing the rounds um they said they want to go to the george which i'm assuming is a pub they they want to go to the george beforehand to meet and compare dildos oh surely this is a joke surely this is some elaborate <laughs> joke no way no I, way or a... it might be a joke but people may actually turn up to the whole game with dildos I yeah, and compare them at a pub. That's good. There needs to be a live stream of this. I I just I've lost for words now. Oh I can't. 
Got to move on. <laughs> please, please. I'm dying here. Uh, finally, former Huddersfield owner Dean Hoyle is in talks to buy back the Championship Club. It's after Phil Hodgkinson, who Hoyle sold the club to three years ago, stepped down as a director of the club. Hoyle still has a 25% stake in the club so far and is now in talks with Hodgkinson's consultancy comp- company to buy the rest. Um, uh, am I right in saying you're a bit of a you're, you're a big fan of Hoyle, aren't you? Well, he transformed the club, didn't he? And he's he's a local local hero, and that's something that doesn't come very often. Uh, you know, you got to look. At, I think it was October or November time. He put in his um, program notes not too long ago that he saved the club from an administration. And you look at the likes of Mel Morris, for example, who plunged his boyhood club into administration. So you've got to admire, you've got to admire Dean Hoyle for that. He's he saved the club numerous times, and hopefully he can stabilise the club off the pitch so they can be sold to an investor who has got money because you can see the potential in it under Carlos Corbran and Lee Bromby. Wonderful stuff. Right now, it's time for this. All right, all right. Settle down, you lot. It's time for the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Thank you, Mr. Bartender. Just before we get onto the game, for clarification, it was Everton where um, the the dildo was shoved into a journalist here on Sky Sports. Um, so it, Birmingham isn't the dildo capital of England. <laughs> This is the game where Justin and I try to guess a mystery championship legend. This week I'm giving Justin six clues on a player who's made at least 200 championship appearances. All he's got to do is guess who it is. The score is 11-8 to myself for the season. You only have time to pull this back, Justin. It's March now. You think about it, logistically, you're going to have to pull out something amazing for me to lose my lead at this point. It's a, it's a derby-like run of form, isn't it, to try and avoid relegation? It's got to be something completely unheard of. Uh, I've got a good run of form going sort of over Christmas time, so I reckon I can I can get back to that. You, you compare it to derby, but at least in this battle, two teams are winning, <laughs> whereas the other one is whoever uh, loses the least amount of games. Um, do you want the first clue? Yeah, let's go. I've made 285 championship appearances, scoring three goals. Hmm. Defender sounds like a left back. Gareth Roberts. It's not Gareth Roberts, but good to hear mentioned. I made my professional debut for Liverpool in two thousand six. Ooh. Mm. See now, all I've got is play left back in my head, and I can just think of Stephen Warnock, but he came through a lot sooner. I think he was alone at Coventry in like oh two oh three. Made his debut for Liverpool in two thousand six. Daniel Ayala. No, he scored loads of goals. It's not Daniel Ayala. Mm. I've played for seven different clubs at championship level, including Middlesbrough, Leicester and Forest. Daniel Ayala. <laughs> he played for yeah, Leicester. Not, yeah, he played for yeah. two romantic. If, yeah, he did play for Leicester. Um, did he play for Leicester? Debut- no, he didn't. He, didn't. No. Uh, he made his debut for Liverpool 06. He's played for Borough and Forest. Leicester mm. I'm he scored you say three goals three goals three goals two experiences uh, Lee Peltier how the hell have you got Is that it? from that yes <laughs> <laughs> do you remember him playing for Middlesbrough Leicester and Forest oh, he's, he's at Middlesbrough now doesn't it he plays yeah. for, he's at Middlesbrough um, I don't remember him playing for uh, Forest, but I remember playing for Leicester, maybe when they were in the Tops tiles, Tops tiles gear. That is unbelievable. Do you remember him being at Liverpool? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You do? I, yeah. That completely do passed me by. I was amazed when I was researching him and found that he used to play for Liverpool because that completely passed me by. I mean, fair play to you, Justin Peach. I, I would have never got that in a million years from those three clues, but... Uh, I suppose you, th- you talk about people who do not score many goals in championship level. Lee Peltier Peltier. is definitely up there, isn't he? I think I think that's what sort of pushed me towards Lee Peltier because there was a quote the other week about him scoring his penalty against Manchester United, and he doesn't he's not faced with that opportunity very often, mm. and that made me yeah not a goal he scorer. Is the definition of limited fullback on football manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He does not get forward much. <laughs> uh, do you want the other clues? Yeah, we'll take it. In 2009, I was handcuffed by police after being accused of theft while out shopping with Victor Anishibi. I wasn't arrested, though, and received a public apology from the Assistant Chief Constable of Cheshire Police. In 2012-13, I was named Captain of Leeds United. Also completely passed me by. Mm. And finally, I have been promoted twice in my career, once with West Brom, although I didn't play any games. The other was with Cardiff, where I played the majority of games. I'd have maybe had a Neil Warnock link there because he's played he played for him under at Leeds, mm. played from at Leeds and Cardiff. But they, they were hard to clues. I don't I don't think I'd have got it. Um, well, I did get it, so actually that's irrelevant. Yeah, it's interesting that he's thirty five years old, and I before researching him cannot remember him playing for any other clubs apart from Middlesbrough because he's there now. Cardiff and Huddersfield. Did not realise he played for Huddersfield. Well, there you go. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, <laughs> Lee Peltier. And ladies and gentlemen, the Second Tier Podcast. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday to go through all the games we've got coming up this weekend. As we were just alluding to earlier, a massive round of games as we head towards the business end of the season. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday to go through all of them. So we'll see you then. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Picture the scene. It's 3pm on a Saturday, your team's playing away from home and you can't go. You're sat there wanting to watch your championship side play, but you can't get it on your telly. Well, fear no more, dear listener. Why not try NordVPN? NordVPN lets you access content from over 59 countries just by changing your virtual location. So essentially, your internet will think you're abroad and that means you can get access to the 3pm Saturday games from the comfort of your own living room. It's not just football, you can do it with streaming services as well. For example, I was on Canadian Netflix the other day and was watching the Shawshank Redemption. You can't get that on streaming services here. It's also useful for cybersecurity when you're on the move too. Get your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash second tier or use the code second tier to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free and a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It costs the same as a cup of coffee each month, so why not give it a go right now?